Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to the Cindy Donaldson Show. I am your host, Cindy Donaldson. I am a serial entrepreneur, bucket list obsessed, full-time RVer, although I'm in a house today. And I am on a mission to make sure that everybody in my circle learns how to create and live a life by design, not by default. So today I am going to answer some of the biggest questions I guess that get asked all the time. And it's about full-time RV living. And as you can notice, I'm actually in a house right now. I'm in my daughter's office. Um, I don't have a law degree, uh, but we have been here for a couple months and um, we spent the holidays here and now we're getting some work done on the Jeep, but enough of that. I kind of want to go back to almost five years ago. Well, it's actually, it was a little before that and how this whole journey started because it's become kind of a thing right now, this, you know, full-time nomad traveling around, people retiring early, taking their kids out of school and traveling. And I just think it's an amazing lifestyle. But it all started when we wanted to take the family, my aging aunts and some cousins, back to Canada, where my grandmother is from. Every five years, they have this event called Old Home Week, where everybody kind of gets together, the town gets overtaken. It's, and it is a tiny little town. And the joke is, don't pick up anybody at the bar because they are definitely a cousin. That is that is a true fact. I was told that very young. And I told my kids the same thing when we went. But I was looking at renting a big RV and we were going to have a caravan. A couple of people were going to drive, but I was going to put my then 70 something year old aunts in the RV and we're going to take this truck. And when I started investigating how expensive it was going to be to rent. I was like, oh my God, it's going to cost me $15,000, $20,000 just to do this. And taking something over the Canadian border was just expensive. So uh, at the time, I had a friend in the insurance industry. His name is Rick. And he was a full-time RVer. And he's like, you know, Cindy, you can buy an RV cheaper than you can rent it. And because they treat them like home mortgages, you can finance them for 20 years. And so my partner, Dave, and I are like, well, let's check it out. So he sent us down to Lazy Days in Florida, which is a big RV center. Um, I'll get into more of that, like why you need to go to one of those places. And we found this, I think it was at the time, a 2014 Newmar Bay Star. Now there's a ton of different kinds of RVs. Numar is one of the top level ones. And, you know, I didn't know anything at the time. And it was $88,000, which was a lot of money to spend on a big piece of metal. And Dave and I didn't know what we were doing, but I trusted my friend Rick. And he's like, that's, a, it's a good deal. And, you know, have it inspected. And so we did all the things. We bought the RV <laughs> and, but it was the middle of the winter when we bought it. And so lazy days kept it for us over the winter. And then they flew us down first class. So there's some, there's some perks to buying an RV down Florida. They flew us down first class and we picked up our RV, I believe in May. And this was in 2015, 2015, which was four years before we hit the road full time. And Long story short, the family, my aunts decided they didn't want to go to Canada, but five of us ended up getting in that RV and driving to Canada that summer in August. And it was amazing. Beyond that, we took a bunch of other trips. And the more that I got into this RV life, I started watching videos on YouTube, mainly to figure out how to dump tanks and fix things and all of that. Well, I didn't, Dave was. 
And in the midst of all of that, I, be, I came aware of this whole subculture of people who sold their house and everything in it and lived full time in an RV. And Dave and I both work for ourselves. I mean, I am a coach, a business consultant. I had a marketing firm. Dave's a software engineer. So we didn't need to be in Connecticut. Taxes are really high in Connecticut. We did have an absolute adorable home that we had remodeled and I adored, like I loved it. We had a 1920 Craftsman bungalow that we had brought back to its glory and spent a lot of blood, sweat and tears in. And I really didn't want to sell the house. So that was a hard decision. The other thing that was at the time is I had this really cute Mini Cooper two-seater sports car that was loaded. It was like one of those indulgent purchases that I made that had really no purpose except it drove really fast and I loved it and it was cute and sexy. But I knew that if we were going to do this full-time thing, one, I had to get rid of the sports car because I wasn't going to tow that behind the RV and we did need a tow car. And two, we were going to have to sell the house. And Dave and I just made the decision. We're just like, screw it. Let's just do it. Like you only live once. And what's the worst thing? You know, we sell everything and we hit the road because we weren't going to put stuff in storage. That was the other thing. But I'll tell you later what we did with, you know, the family heirlooms and stuff. And we did it. And we had a five-year plan. So after we got back from Canada, we loved the whole RV adventure. We decided that, I guess it was a four-year plan. We decided on Dave's 50th birthday, which is June 24th, 2019, that we were going to hit the road full time. And so we started first thinking about the RV. And at the time, our Numar did not have solar and it was gonna need new tires. It was gonna need a lot of work and it was brown and I wanted to remodel it. So we were looking at about $10,000 to invest in that. And it was also a gas engine. So it didn't have a lot of oomph going up hills. And, you know, I followed all of those really cute YouTube channels of people that were making these shabby chic little RVs and stuff. And that's when Dave and I decided, you know what, maybe we want to get a, a newer, a different RV, a smaller RV that would allow us to go into a lot of the national parks. Some of the national parks, you cannot park, you know, you can't stay in them with a big RV. Some of them you can. Turns out we did, we've never camped in a national park. We, we've discovered the, the world of boondocking, which stay tuned for another 10 minutes or so and I'll get there. So we decided to sell our beloved Numar. His name was Newman. And we were really interested in getting a leisure travel van, which was this really kind of bougie travel van. Everybody loves them. It had everything we needed. And it was short. It was only 25 feet long. I did a ton of research. Like literally we were willing to pull the trigger and buy one. Until we found out that they were made in Canada and a lot of people were having issues getting them serviced in the States. And we followed this one girl who sold her leisure travel van and bought a Tiffin Wayfarer that was built in Alabama. The factory was in Alabama. So it was, you know, it was built on a Mercedes chassis. It was a diesel. It still had everything that we needed but we knew that the service was going to be great. And like Numar, Tiffin is one of the top brands. So then we became obsessed with finding a Tiffin Wayfair. Now, when we started looking at them, it was 2018. 
they had just started making them. They were, so there wasn't a lot of inventory and there were no used ones. So we went back to Lazy Days in Florida and found out that, you know, we we paid about 88000 for our Newmar and we financed it. Um, we'd only been paying on it, I think, for about four or five years. This was like the beginning of 2019 when we decided that we were going to have to buy a brand new tip and wafer because there was no used inventory. So again, we went back to Lazy Days. They decided they were going to give us about $68,000 for the new one. We were going to have to roll some money over. And the exact one that we wanted, the exact Wayfair that we wanted, they actually had on the lot. Otherwise, we were going to look at four to six months to have them build it. So the universe was just saying, buy it. We bought that RV sight unseen because there was only one on the lot. We had already made the commitment to sell our house. We'd already had three or four big yard sales. We were purging everything. You know, we were moving our companies to Florida. It was a whole thing. So like, if we don't get this RV, then we're going to be driving to the big one. And we tried to sell the big one up in Connecticut, you know, and it just didn't work. So we, we had to do the trade-in. And also if you trade in, there's a deal with sales tax down there. Like you get a credit on the sales tax. So bought it sight unseen. And then those 2019 just flew. It flew by. We put the house on the market. Um, I forget what month. I think it was in May. We put the house up. No, June. We put the house on the market in early June. We had two offers in less than 24 hours. And we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like this is really happening. So we had 30 days to close on the house and get that all done. And then the massive yard sales happened. And I sold a lot on Facebook Marketplace. And so the question I get asked a lot is, how do you know what to save and what to not save? And so I had the estate sale, like I was dead with my kids. And I was like, come get everything that you want. I also I have two children. I packed up all of their kids stuff, all the Christmas ornaments, all of that, and divided them up between the two kids. They took every piece of furniture, kitchen item that they wanted. The only things that I kept for myself was my collection of fiesta wear and my grandmother's china dishes and my art that I collected. So that was it. It wasn't a lot. I, um, and Dave, we have a lot of tools because we rehab houses. And so Dave saved all of his tools because to sell them, was ridiculous. At the time, Dave's dad was still alive. He lived in upstate New York and he had a huge basement. So we just stored everything in his basement. And that worked perfectly until Dave's dad passed away this um, this past year in 2023. We had to move everything and we bought like a big utility trailer. And now every our life is in that utility trailer and some of the stuff is at my daughter's house, which is where I am now like the artwork, things that I didn't want to expose to extreme temperatures, we stored here, as well as granite dishes, because I didn't want them crushed under Dave's tools. So that's what we did. And even though I was a collector of, like, I love going to flea markets, and I had a house full of antiques, and some of it I really, really loved. And it was hard to sell some of it, because some of it I had dragged across country. I've lived all over the country. I've dragged it with me, and I've had it for 30 some of it 40 years and I really loved it. And Dave made a promise to me that when we bought a house again, 
he would be my mule at flea markets and I could just go shopping and buy a bunch of stuff, which is what I love to do. So that made that transition easier. We literally had, um, in 2018, the kids and Dave and I all went to Ireland and Scotland for a couple of weeks for a big family kind of back to the homeland adventure, which was wonderful. And when we came back, that was in the fall of 2018. And when we came back from that, that's when the massive selling happened. I mean, we had to get rid of cars. We had to get rid of everything in our house. We had to do some repairs on the house because it sold for a person who had a VA loan. So things had to get painted on the old barn. I mean, it was it was a lot of work and it was a whirlwind. whirlwind. And you'd be surprised at how much shit you have in your house that you don't even know you had. Like we were opening up boxes that had never been opened from our move in there things that I hadn't opened from previous moves. Dave and I combined houses. We've been together for almost 20 years, but up until 2009, we lived in separate houses and we moved in together in 2009. So there was just a lot of stuff from our separate lives. At the end, we chose several, um, a couple days before we had to move out, whatever was left, we chose a couple charities and they came and got it. And whatever they didn't want got dropped off to Goodwill. And then whatever was kind of junk, we just made one big trip to the dump after that. Cleaned up the house and that was it. So do I miss living in the house? Sometimes, sometimes. Do I regret it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So the, the transition though from living in a house to living in less than 100 square feet are Tiff and Wayfarer, her name is Tilly. Is 25 feet long. It has a Murphy bed. There's no separate bedroom like our big, well, I neglected to tell you that our old RV was a class A. It was a bus and it was 35, 36 feet long. And so it had a separate bedroom. It had three slides. So the, the center went out on both. So there was a huge living space. It was amazing. Now we're in this little, you know, little compact sprinter van. And through all the hype of making the move, we really kind of forgot that, oh my God, we don't have a house to go home to. And we actually moved out 10 days before closing because the people needed to move in. And so we mooched off, that's when you kind of live in people's driveways at the kids' houses. And you know we had to figure it out because literally a week before, we left the kids in charge of the final yard sale. We drove all the way to Florida. We picked up the RV. We had a day or two to figure out how to use it, try to get some minor fixes done, and then drove it back up to Connecticut. And, you know, we had to look, take everything out of the old RV, put it in the new RV, get it up here. It was crazy. It was crazy. And good thing that I am... I. I can't say we actually got overwhelmed. There was just so much stuff to do. We just kept going and going and going. But that first day, um, we actually, you know, had to hook up the Jeep and we drove. And that's when the realization hit us. Like, oh my God, like, what the hell did we just do? We sold our house, you know, and we're, we're in this tiny house that we don't really know how to use it. Um, and then that's how the adventure started. I think our first trip, we went up to the Cape for a while. And uh, on the edges of a hurricane, we didn't even know how to 
hook up fresh water or anything. Like it was, it was a comedy of errors. And we were, thankfully, Tiffin had a hotline where we could call people and ask them questions. And we joined a lot of the online forums on Facebook. And Dave is a real techie. So he got to be friends with all the other nerdy techie engineer people to figure that stuff out. And it worked. It worked. And then came COVID. Then came COVID. Because that's the other big question that I get. Like, what did you do during COVID? We were traveling down south. And um, right before the world shut down, we were in Corpus Christi, Texas. And we we were... We got, um, Padre Island, actually. And we were camping right next to these people. We were right on the beach. It was gorgeous. And they were telling us about all of this amazing stuff to do in Texas, because we had never really been there, except to visit some relatives outside of San Antonio. And they said, you have to go down, you know, near the Big Bend. And there's this town called Del Rio, which is right on the Mexican border. You can see the Rio Grande, it's really beautiful. There's not much in the town, but you can have easy access to Mexico and it's right next to, you know, um, national forest land and parks and stuff. So like, okay. So we left Padre Island, we get down to Del Rio, we stay at this, um, I forget the name of it, broke something, um, campground. And we were there for a couple of days and all of a sudden they made the announcement that you know, you you can't use the, the gym anymore and the world came to a halt. Now our plan was to stay there for two days and then we had a whole, we were gonna do the whole Western route that very first year of going up to New Mexico and Arizona, Wyoming, Montana, and just kind of living out West because Dave had never been there and I had never been Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, that whole area. Every national park closed, all the private campgrounds closed. Like we either packed up and went back to Connecticut to see family where COVID was just raging and people were dying left and right. It was horrible. Or we stay in Texas where nothing was happening at the time. There was no COVID where we were. And by the grace of God, actually, the owner of the campground said, yeah, you can stay here. We'll move you to our monthly area. It was $300 a month plus electricity. And for you guys that are in the arc, that is dirt cheap. Um, it got hot pretty quickly there though in Texas. And by the time May came around, it you know, you were reaching 110 degrees outside. And even though we put Reflectix in all the cabinets and we tried to cool it down, RVs will only cool down about 20 degrees below what it is outside. And it just became miserable. So we're like, it's time to get out of the Southwest. We stayed there for over three months. And by then things were sort of opening up. Uh, I don't think vaccines were out yet because we weren't vaccinated yet, but we went to the Smoky Mountains where there wasn't, you know, we kind of made our way back up. There wasn't a lot happening up there in the Smoky Mountains. So we found a place to stay for a month in a private campground. It wasn't really crowded, but we were able to do some hiking in the Smoky Mountains, but the national park, the, the offices and the ranger stations and the campgrounds were all closed to the public. Once COVID could be started getting there, we just kind of wandered up. And that's kind of been our journey. Like we've literally just traveled around the country. We took some time off to actually buy and remodel this house for my daughter and her husband. Um, 
which took about five months. So we were up here one winter, we camped one winter in our RV. That was an interesting um, project. And we got to spend my 60th birthday in Montana and Wyoming. And next summer coming up, we are going to be going to Alaska. That's the plan. So we've learned a lot in five years. The other question that I get asked a lot is how much does it cost? And it's not as cheap as you may think, although you, at least for us, but we also financed our RV. So that payment's like a thousand dollars a month. Gas, diesel, you know, there were times we were paying almost $7 a gallon for diesel. Now it's a little bit cheaper. So the more you travel, the more expensive it is. Um, and if you're staying at bougie RV parks, it gets very expensive. We prefer to boondock, although in the beginning we stayed at a lot of campgrounds because we didn't know what we were doing and we had to figure it out and it was just easier to be hooked up to electric and have sewer and all that. And we tried to stay at places for about a month, which is really cool because we got to actually integrate into the community and learn things about it and or it almost becomes your second home. So we've done that in New Orleans, we've done that in South Dakota, we've done that um, Oh gosh, obviously Texas, we've done it in Arizona. We've done it in a lot of places where we just kind of hunkered down for a month at a campground, but it gets very expensive. And during COVID, everybody and their mother decided that RVing was a really cool thing to do. So, and I don't blame the RV, you know, park owners for doing this, but they jacked their prices up, supply and demand, right? And so they were recouping money that they had lost when all the shutdowns happened. So it became very expensive and you couldn't find a spot. And the national parks, forget about it. You couldn't find a spot in any of the national parks. And that's when we really went down the boondocking route. Now, what is boondocking? In the United States, there's a division of the government called uh, the Bureau of Land Management or BLM. And that is land that is owned by the government, which you as an American citizen are free to use. Now, there are some limitations, some parts of the country and BLM land or the national forest land, you can just drive in and, you know, find a place to park. And we did that in Nebraska. We literally drove through some grasslands and found a spot next to some cows and stayed there for, I don't know, a week or 10 days. And there was no signs you can't camp here. You just drive and find a spot. And there's a lot of places out West that you can do that too. But there are some places that the, um, the National Forest Service actually monitors and only allow you to stay for two weeks. And in fact, a lot of the places out in Wyoming and Montana and very popular places near the national parks like Glacier or the Tetons, some days you have like a, a five-day limit of places that you can stay. You don't have to pay to camp. It's a five-day limit. And there's no amenities. So there's no electric, there's no water, and there's no sewer. So you are literally living off-grid. But our RV has solar and it also has a generator and we can live about seven to eight days off grid. Now that means, yes, you only probably get a shower once a week <laughs> and you have to be okay with that. But we have learned to kind of, you know, find places that are near a Planet Fitness. I have a, a black card membership to Planet Fitness. So Dave and I can go, we can work out, we can take showers. Now, Planet Fitnesses are obviously um, in concentrated areas near cities. So if you are out in the middle of Montana, there, there are no Planet Fitnesses nearby. But if you are near a national park, 
there are showers and stuff in those national parks that you can use. Sometimes you have to pay for them, but there's, there's laundry, there's fresh water, and you can do that. So we had some water jugs. We would just fill up our water. And out West, what's amazing that we found, which was completely shocking, is that a lot of gas stations have dump stations. So you can dump your black and your gray tank and they have hoses where you can fill up your fresh water. And yes, we do filter the water that we drink um, out of those. We just use a Brita filter, but it's fine for taking showers and everything else. So that's kind of been the adventure. What other questions do I get asked? Oh, Cindy, do you drive? Yes, actually probably drive more than Dave does, mainly because I'm an ADHD girl and just sitting in the passenger seat for hours on end drives me batshit crazy, where at least if I'm driving, I have things to focus on. I also can't work on my computer if it's sunny out sitting in the driver's seat where Dave can. So we, I'll drive until like, I don't want to drive or if I don't feel well, he'll drive, but I do drive a lot and it is very easy to drive. Um, we tend to split up the, the chores. Dave usually dumps the, the black tank while I do all the inside cleaning of the bathroom and stuff like that when we're dumping tanks. Do I know how to do it? Yeah, of course I know how to do it. But it just kind of happened that way. Um, I usually do all the cooking. Dave doesn't. So we, we have our routine. Like when we are setting up, there's things that I do that it just kind of naturally happened that way and we kind of stick to it. And here's probably the biggest question that I get. Like how do the two of you live in less than a hundred square feet and not kill yourself without any private space? The answer is, I don't know. We get along great. We have the same long-term goals. We love to travel. It's not that we don't get on each other's nerves. We do. Dave is an incredibly neat person. Um, I can't say I'm a slob, but I am, I'm not the neatest, most organized person where Dave is like Dave's closet is one of those that are color coordinated my closet's like, okay, I have stuff hung up. <laughs> as good as it's going to get. But as far as private space, like when you were living in an RV, the outside is your extended home. So if I need some private space, I just go outside. Even if it's raining, I'll go for a walk in the rain or I'll, you know, hop in the Jeep and go for a drive. So there's always time for private space. And, you know, it, it just works for us. Some people you know, get out there in full-time RV and then they're like, oh my God, like this is the most horrible thing. And I saw a lot of people doing that during COVID, like really not doing the homework, not going out and actually testing, you know, living in an RV for an extended period of time before they sold everything. So that's my biggest advice. If you are considering doing what I do, there's a few things that you, you absolutely should do first. One, go rent an RV. There's a company called Outdoorsy. It's like Airbnb for RVs. You rent an RV, one that you're thinking you, you should rent a big one, a small one, a van, everything in between, and, and do it for a couple of weeks to see if you really like it and if you like living that close together, because you may not, or you may really love it, but you're not going to know what you like until you try it. Two, if you are retired, and you want to stay in the bougie RV spots, like there's some that are $150, $200 a night. Um, that's good for you. That's not our jam, but be prepared to spend money. The other thing is, if you don't want to cook in your RV, 
be prepared to spend money because you're going to be going out to eat three meals a day, right? You have to really think about all these things, you know, when, when you're thinking of the budget. Are you going to pay for your RV um, outright or do you need to finance it? Again, you can finance these puppies for 20 years for the most part. And, you know, interest rates are a little bit, they're like a, a car payment. The other thing, do you buy new or used? For the most part, these things depreciate about 30% when you drive them off the lot. That being said, our RV that we bought for $125,000 before COVID, I could now sell for more than what we paid for it. So, but that doesn't happen usually. The rule of thumb is buy used, especially for your first one. And, you know, try it out, see if you like it. Again, you can still finance used ones for 20 years, again, for the most part. What kind of RV do you want to buy? You can have a travel, tra travel trailer, right? You can have a fifth wheel, which has the, the bunk that it's like a gooseneck bump and you need a pretty big truck, like with dual wheels to tow it. Do you get a van? Not like ours, but a smaller, like, you know, a van and have van life. Do you get a Class C RV, which is what we have? We have a bunk over it. It's on a Mercedes Sprinter van. Or do you want an A, which is like the bus? It really depends. We like the Class C because we can get up and go to the bathroom while we're driving. I can get up and make some, you know, get something to eat. And we can tow our Jeep behind it. Now, for a lot of people, most people at West, oh, and there's also the truck campers, which are making a comeback. We saw them everywhere which it literally slides into the back of a pickup truck. Out West, we see a lot more um, five, you know, the, the big five wheelers and the um, travel trailers because everybody out there has a, a pickup truck. And so, you know, they already have that. And to tow one of those big pickup trucks behind an RV just doesn't make sense. On the East Coast, we see a lot more Class Cs and a lot more Class A's. The, the Class A's obviously are much more expensive, much more expensive, and they have a lot more room, and they're, they cost a lot to repair. The, the fifth wheels, that's the gooseneck, the we call them the fibers, they, you can get a really bougie one for less than $100,000, and they are huge, they are huge. They often come with one or two bathrooms. They can have decks out the back. I mean, they're big. And I see a lot of families driving them. But if you were going to buy them and then you have to go spend $75,000, $80,000 on a pickup truck, then again, that kind of goes back what I see more on the East Coast versus out West because out West, everybody's on a ranch or a farm and they already have those big pickup trucks. The travel trailers are really nice because you could literally, smaller ones, you can tow them with a Subaru Outback or a smaller pickup truck. You don't need the big ones. And they're very inexpensive. They're very expensive. What I don't really love about them is that you can't get up and go to the bathroom you know, while somebody else is driving and the sway on the back. And I see that with the fifth wheels. If they're not, you don't have the weight proportioned right. They sway and it just, I just don't like it. We really did love our class A a lot. Um, but, you know, it takes a lot of gas. It's a lot to repair. And there are a lot of places that you can't go. So if we're not towing the Jeep and our little Class C tip and Wayfair, I can make a K-turn. I can pull a UE. Um, you can't back up when you're towing 
anything like a Jeep. So it's not like a trailer. There's actually um, a braking mechanism and it almost looks like an accordion. So you can't back up. So if you get stuck where you can't flip around, you actually have to disconnect the truck or whatever you're towing and turn and reconnect it. But we like what we have because we can go in a lot of places. You still can't go, ours is, I think, I always forget this, but I think it's about 11 feet high um, where the bigger RVs are 13, 14 feet high. So there's some places we can go that the bigger ones can't. Anyway, that's RV life. I mean, Dave and I still both work. Um, we have Starlink for internet and we also use AT&T. Uh, Starlink works amazing out West where there's no obstructions, but if you have trees, it doesn't. So, I mean, that kind of drives where we stay as well because we both work. I need internet more than Dave does. So, cause I do this kind of stuff, but the, um, the Starlink has been a game changer for us because we weren't, we wouldn't have been able to live off grid all summer a year ago out in Wyoming and Montana without it, because there is no cell service for the most part in those areas. But AT&T has worked out pretty good. Some people, you know, use Verizon. Um, there are times that we use our hotspot. There are times that we'll go to a coffee shop to work. Um, you just, I mean, the thing is you have to be incredibly flexible. We do not plan like crazy with the exception of this trip that we're going to Alaska. I'm actually starting to look at, you know, routes and where we can boondock, where we should, where we need to stop and get gas. So there's, that's a whole different world up there. Um, what we can bring over the border, what we can't. So, but usually we, we go and then we figure out where we're going to go next. In the beginning, we plotted a lot of things where, you know, we're going to go here and here and here. And it was just exhausting because we were leaving spots that we love to go to places to stay longer that we didn't love. So, um, and we don't book a month in a campground anymore. We just don't do it. We might book it for a few days just to have a long hot shower, get some laundry done, clean out the RV and just kind of have a rest from boondocking. Cause although boondocking is wonderful, you don't have any neighbors except nature. Um, it is nice to just have electricity and a hot shower that you don't have to take in two seconds that you can literally take a 30 minute shower. We have a continuous hot water heater in our RV, which is really nice. So if we are hooked up to water and we have sewer, we can just take a long, beautiful hot shower and we have great water pressure. So that's kind of nice. Um, what else do people ask me? Uh, I mean, those are the big ones. Dave and I do uh, enjoy it a lot. We are looking to, you know, what's next. Um, we're not done traveling. I don't think we'll ever ever stop RV life traveling. We're hoping to knock out all 50 states in 2024. Um, but we also are looking to buy a farm maybe in Vermont. So it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I think it's time to get him going to yard sales and flea markets and start you know, collecting treasures again. But we will probably keep our RV and, you know, if we find the farm that we really love, we could always Airbnb it out or the kids could stay there and we can go travel for a month or I don't know. Again, we don't plan. So I always love to talk about RV life. If it's something that you are interested in and you want to know more about, you can reach out to me at Cindy at Cindy-Donaldson.com. I'm happy to share our adventures and, you know, 
if you want to meet up sometime and we're in your area, we always love to, you know, connect with fellow RVers, but have an awesome day. Take care. Bye.